0: Season two is nigh, ladies and gentlemen. Greg Koch here, Chewing the Gristle Podcast. It continues unabated. We got some powerful musical friends lined up. We're talking guitars, music, food, aliens. It doesn't matter. We're just chewing the diggity-doggone gristle. Ladies and gentlemen, from Blackberry Smoke, people who know how to rock in the way that it was intended to be done, lead vocalist and guitar-slinging potentate, that is Charlie Starr. What a hell of a nice fella. Stay tuned. Chewing the Gristle with Charlie Starr. Ladies and gentlemen... Another fun day in store for us here on Chewing the Gristle. Charlie Starr from Blackberry Smoke is with us. Charlie, doggone it, this is our first official opportunity to speak. We've kind of congressed online a little bit, hither and yon, but now we finally get to speak. How the heck are
1: you? I'm
0: just absolutely fantastic, Greg. You? Excellent. I am doing well myself. I I like your your background there. I see you've got the... um, You've got that Ampeg guitar, right? Is that the old uh, <laughs> Keith Richards esque morsel? Yeah, the Dan
1: Armstrong. Yeah, there we go. That's a Telecaster guitar that Echo Park guitars built. It's really cool. Aha. Uh-huh. Uh- now, go- where is this Echo Park guitars? Well, it was in uh, California, in Los Angeles area, in Echo Park, but they he moved the whole kitten caboodle to Detroit. Detroit Rock City. <laughs> yes. Exactly right. Which when I was first made aware of that, I thought, what? Uh, And he's a California guy, Gabriel Curry, uh, through and through, born and bred, born and raised. I said, have you ever been to Detroit, Michigan or Michigan in the wintertime? Yeah, Yeah, it'll be fine. (laughs) Oh, well, it certainly builds character.
0: It did. Yeah, I think it put some hair on his chest. Ah, which which is really in these days. Right. <laughs> that helps with warmth as well. It does indeed. Kind of a, Sasquatch, a Sasquatchian pelt, if you will. <laughs> you know, I was just thinking, did you ever see that footage of uh, Hendrix backstage at the uh, Madison Square Garden? He's hanging out with Keith, and Keith is showing him the controls on the Dan Armstrong guitar. That's just such an awesome document of history. You just want to be a fly on the wall
1: actually hear what they're talking about. You know what I mean? Right. I think Keith, like he's got it in his lap at one point when he's showing it to him and he puts his Budweiser bottle on right. it, like a table. <laughs> I think the only discernible, uh,
0: uh, audio from that encounter is the very aw- awkward exchange of when I think Keith or uh, Jimmy says, Hey, have you seen Linda lately? Which was, you know, Linda Keith, which was oh his right. girlfriend that discovered Jimmy and, uh, uh-huh. Yeah, that whole awkward situation. Oh. Oh, but, okay. Hey, What are you going to
1: do? You can hear that audio?
0: Yeah, there's just a, there's a little exchange oh. of them going, hey, uh, have you seen Linda? Oh, yeah, well, no, I'll tell him. You know, he's like, oh, boom, 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 boom. Yeah. Anyways, what are you going to do? Yeah. We digress, but that's what we do. We'll digress for the whole hour, Charlie. That's yeah, just how it is. I'm a, digre- a digressor. I like it. So what have you been up to as of late? How's your uh, how's the I know you got the new record coming out. And I love the new tune. You know what? I've been, uh, been rocking out to your jams and I love it. You know what? I'm, I'm, a, it's so funny. It's like I heard about you for years, heard a little song here and there, always loved your playing online. And then I delved into it and I just, I mean, not to blow, not to blow any smoke. See what I did there? <laughs> but I dig it. I dig your singing. I love the, the rootsy vibe of the tunes and the quirky manipulations of the song forms, because that's what I live for. It's like what's been done has been done a thousand times, but to have respect for the past and then to, to shake it up, Charlie.
1: Doggone it. You've done a great job of it. Thank you very much. Well, uh, I appreciate that. And that, mean, that means uh, the world coming from you, Greg, because I hold you in such high esteem, my friend. Oh, well, bless you. Thank you very much. Um I in fact, um I play your playing for my wife, especially during the pandemic, constantly, because constantly watching your Instagram and videos of the Cock Marshall Trio playing. Yes. And, and she loves it. And not only does she love your playing, but she also loves your demeanor. Uh, uh. and our most favorite moment, pandemic Greg Cock moment, was and I I, I just couldn't believe it. It was so fantastic was uh ragtime wanker.
0: <laughs>
1: because, I'll never live it down. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I uh, prefer to play the ragtime myself. I love, uh, yes. I love the finger picking. I love it dearly. Probably prefer it to play with a pick every day, all day. Yes. So ragtime wanker hit home here at my house. <laughs> Well, excellent. I'm glad to be
0: of strange service in that regard. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually on a Wildwood video. I think it was on a, a Instagram thing that uh, they posted a video of me playing something. I, I think I was doing like a Merle Travis thing, and something. Like, Not this ragtime wanker again. I'm like, oh. <laughs> so it's been like an ongoing joke at Wildwood for a long time. Uh, like, here comes the ragtime wanker. So I finally thought maybe I should put a song, get a song together.
1: <laughs> you did it. It's perfect.
0: <laughs> Good, clean fun, as yeah. they say. So what have you been up to? What's, what's kind of, uh, been happening you've done a few live streamy things over the pandemic here, but what's your, what's your day to day like?
1: Oh, uh, day to day is, um, um, uh, I have a seven year old son in the house and, uh, Excellent. homeschooled him for a bit and, uh. I'm not, I'm not good at that. Um, uh, that was tough. And, uh, but luckily he goes to a pretty small school here in Atlanta and, uh, they opened for business fairly early. Uh, they started, they, they eased into it slowly. They started with a hybrid week and, right. uh, and then they've had no problems. So they opened it up, uh, to full capacity for them. And, uh, Excellent. funny thing, um, I was taking him to school one morning and, you know, the drop off is 8 a.m. or so. And we're masked up in the car and the uh, principal of the school stands out front with a few teachers and they check temperatures. And you have there's an app and a and a QR code that it's a screener that you do every morning and uh, making sure, you know, have you been exposed, blah, blah, blah. And uh, the principal came to my window. My son's right here in his seat, you know, and he goes, listen, uh, he's got his clipboard. He's like go home. We think we may have had a case. Uh, and it's in your son's pod, you know? Oh. Said, oh, okay. So, uh, he said, yeah, just go home and, uh, we'll email you with, uh, what to do next, you know, instructions. I said, okay. And my son says, who's got it. And the principal goes, <laughs> the principal goes, all righty then. And just walk.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <walked> away. <laughs> Crazy times. Yeah. My my high schooler just started to go back uh, last week. They were on a hybrid thing um, all year up to that point. And then they decided to go back, um, uh, as I said, about two weeks ago. So he's been doing that. Apparently, so far, so good. You know, yeah. But he, every day he comes home from school, I said, how was school? He's like, it sucked. I'm like, great. So everything's,
1: yeah. everything's <laughs> good. Perfect. <laughs> as it should be.
0: Exactly, but it's been wild. You know, I've got all four kids home now, so it's um, you know from the various different locales. At one point, I was almost an empty nester, except for John and uh, the youngest. And then uh, COVID happened, and all of a sudden, now they're all back up, which is actually kind of fun. We get together and and um, yeah, never a dull moment. So
1: yeah, I saw a photograph on Instagram of you and the whole family. I, I was not aware that that you had that many children. Yeah,
0: I'm a reproducing son of a gun.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you guys have been
0: happily married now for, uh, let's see, twenty is it 26 years? No, 27 wow. years. Congratulations. Wow. Thank you. So far, so good. Yeah. She hasn't yeah. thrown me out yet for my ways. And you got your own orange room. I do have the orange room. You know, what's funny about this is that this was actually, uh, it's a little sunroom off the back. Mm-hmm. And I, I would be on this side, and my wife would be on this side. You know, she's a graphic designer, so she'd have her little lair over here. I was on this. And then and then the cove hit. So yeah. I started um, doing the live streams on my side of the room, and then I put, like, a little divider so she could be in her lair. And then I had Dylan play with me one day, and then he was kind of set up in the doorway here. And then finally my wife's like, you know, I'm going up in the attic. I'm taking over the attic. So, uh, then, so now she's up there. And we've thoroughly taken over this room, but it, it is not real large. Uh, so it gets, especially when this thing starts a howling, when Toby comes down and that thing gets a whirling. Uh-huh. Uh, it's um, uh, it's a charged atmosphere. <laughs> it's well, quite quite loud.
1: You guys capture it well. It sounds good on all the streams. It's sounds- oh well,
0: thank you. You know we've uh, w- my buddy Ryan, uh, who who actually works for Fishman, and he's out in Boston. Uh, He comes on our computer um, and does the engineering and the cameras remotely for us. And that really, really helps. So because I'm like a recording wise, I'm a complete idiot i just never never have engaged and because you know i always looked at all my buddies who had their pro tools rigs at home and then they'd get more stuff and they'd get more stuff and they were always talking about yeah you know i gotta get this new plug in and oh no i gotta update my whole thing because you know this changed and you know and i'm like i don't want it i just want to play and be a yeah. pirate that's right and so luckily uh this is all kind of happened by necessity and um and Ryan's been a, a godsend but yeah it's just by by and my son's pretty is up on stuff too so between yeah. those two we've managed to turn this into some kind of a workable lair
1: yeah i would i would venture to guess that um all this gear that you have there I have, uh it's been a pretty productive time for people who sell this kind of stuff i would absolutely think. Um,
0: absolutely well guitarist i mean yeah it's been crazy but yeah absolutely i remember at some point we were looking at getting uh another camera or something like that and the back the the back order on that thing was yeah. ridiculous because every one of their brother was needing to do stuff from home so yeah i guess from that aspect of things it's it's all been good it's going to be interesting to see with the you know, the uh, gradual opening up of things. I know everyone wants to open up everything right away, but obviously that's not going to happen, especially for people that do what we do in terms of venues and so on and so forth. But it'll be interesting to see how many people are still supportive of live streams as they happen versus at what point are they going to go, no, I'm not going to support that stuff anymore. I'm only going to support live music. Or or if there's always going to be this hybrid now, you know what I mean?
1: Right. I haven't thought about that. Yeah, that's a great point. I wonder who will be comfortable enough to throw it all away. And like, yeah, wow. Okay. And then I wonder how many
0: places have transitioned into having, um, you know, the amount of bandwidth and the infrastructure to actually do live streams from the venues. So is it always going to be kind of a, a joint yeah. experience? Yeah. i mean I can't go to, oh, you can't go to the show Saturday night. Well, you can pay X amount and get the live stream and be able to, you know what I mean? It's just going to be interesting to see what transpires.
1: Right. We're doing two shows this weekend, actually, in Tennessee, outdoor shows, uh, the caverns, the above-ground caverns in Pelham, Tennessee. Uh, Excellent. It should be great, but they're going to be, I think, they're going to be streamed as well. Yes. You're right. Both. And as we well know, Charlie,
0: they will figure out a way to make sure the artist gets the short end of the stick. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, not your particular venue, but I mean, just in
1: in general. (laughs) Yeah. the, The business, of course. You know, I... One day I was uh, oh this is deep water I'm I'm about to tread in but that's all right let's go I was really concerned and curious about streaming when streaming really started to become something that was the you know something that was robbing you of record sales if you will right and I was like wait a minute now and you know for a minute there was talk like okay major labels are going under you know there's no need for them anymore. And then all of a sudden, which it didn't, that didn't affect us. We've never been involved with a major label, but as a spectator, I was like, oh, well, that's a shame, you know? And, uh, but then they weren't, then they were still here. Right. It was like, who is making money off the streaming? And then I found out, oh, they bought the streaming services. Yeah. Oh, now it all makes sense. Yeah. So. Short Yeah. And then still getting the short end of the stick. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what do you do? It's crazy.
0: But what are you going to do? You know, yeah. it's, uh, you just got to keep on rolling and find other ways, but, uh, but you guys have been doing fantastic. Well, thanks.
1: Yeah. Our, um, you know, we've worked independently for 20 years, you know, we, we've been, uh, We've we've had a relationship with a few different indie labels, some that it, most that have folded, but um, all in all, it was uh, it was a good it has been a good experience. But and then we finally were just like, well, let's do it ourselves. You know, right. what we have figured out what we can actually accomplish, um, and it's you know it can't compete with a major label, but it can meet our needs. You know, sure, um, and 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 also our fan base. I think it, maybe it's the, um, maybe it's the demographic as far as age, but they like to buy physical products, physical copies. Yep. So that's good. And most of them would be like stream, what stream meme. I want a whole record. You know? That's true. They definitely like to buy the concrete
0: item, which is good.
1: Yeah. And, and we even, uh, our, my drummer, Britt, who loves you and says hello, by the way. Oh, bless him! Tell him I yeah. say hello he's a he's a graphic designer and um he's responsible for all of our record covers and and uh, merchandise and all our imagery awesome and so that's very that's precious to him you know the the art of the album cover or the pa- right. the, the packaging in you know, a gatefold and a you know a poster inside and the lyric sheet with different you know do hickeys going on on uh, me too I'm just, he gets so excited he's like oh I know what it's gonna look like you know right and uh awesome you lose that
0: with the streaming experience. You certainly do, absolutely, and uh, yeah, it's it's a, it's a strange thing. I mean, <clears throat> right before you know, COVID ended or COVID began. Excuse me. I'm sorry. i was going in the future there for a minute. Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> but right before COVID started, we were actually with the trio. We were start, starting to tour and uh, in the states more. We'd always toured overseas, but now we had finally got an agent in the States and we're touring around and it was really going well. But the one thing that was very interesting was I worked the merch table, you know, so I'd be like before, before the gig, I'm out there after the gig, I'm out there. And people just want that tangible thing, whether it's CDs or if it's the pedal And I started selling these hats or whatever the case may they just want those things to take with them. Yeah. And that really makes or breaks the gig. I mean, you make, you know, I mean, of course, at our level, you know, we're we nowhere near where you, where you guys are at. But, you know, we're, we're playing and, you know, make you make decent dough at the gig. But then the merch is where the money really comes from. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating business. And the things that I, you know, like even more so than the music is the accessories.
1: That's <laughs> right. Crazy. Still, yeah, that's, I don't know, that's like... Um, uh, somehow becomes part of our DNA. Like my wife, every time we go to a show, um, you know, first chance I get, I'm like, where's the merch table. We're going to get a We're going to get a Tom Petty shirt. Or, we're yeah, going exactly. to it. It's, it's a, an important part of the, of the process, even as a concert goer.
0: Yes, indeed. Absolutely.
1: Well, I got, got my Zeppelin shirt, right? There now. you go. Know. Yeah.
0: So let's talk a little bit about the the background of the band. And so you grew up with music. So your your family was music oriented, always playing, going on. This this is always fun when I get to talk to folk and find out the different backgrounds. Because my my family liked to listen to music, like my brother and sisters, but no one played anything. No one was. But my mom played piano, but there was definitely not a musical background. So talk a little bit about what. How that affected you going into it? Because, I mean, some of what I, you know, me and some other folks from kind of my particular uh, mindset uh, have been, you know, they did it because of rebellion. But when you're coming from a family that's all into it, there's, there's not the rebellion. There's just kind of like, hey, this is great. There's support. Let's go. And, you know, and away we go. So talk a, a little bit about how that all worked.
1: Well, for me, um, my dad is a bluegrass guy. He's okay. a bluegrass guitar player, singer a uh, hobbyist. He's never, he's never toured or anything like that, but it's, it's, uh, he loves it deeply and always will. He's still at 74. He's still always playing as Martin and singing songs and awesome. uh, And when I was a kid, he, um, he was more, uh, you know, he would come home from work and, and uh, he would grab his guitar and, and, and at a, at a certain age, I would always start to say, "Will you sing me a song, you know, play me a song. And he would, he always had time. He was never too tired, which he, I think he could see that I loved it, even as a little kid. Mm. Um, as little kids will, you know. But right. I, but I started banging his guitar around, and he finally bought me one, uh, a little cheap gut string guitar when I was six. I think he could see it, that I, I wanted it, right, you know, really badly, and uh, and I did. And so he taught me, you know, G, C, and D. And uh, I wanted to be able to sing and play at the same time. Then that was very important. It was very, it was a very troubadour kind of thing. Sure. Um, <clears throat> And so he taught me some songs, you know, like Wreck of the Old 97 and Blue Moon of Kentucky and things like that. And I loved it. And then it cooled off for me a little. I was like, okay, i got this. Right? I'm six and I can do this, you know. I can go play on the street. But, uh, you know, got into other things. And then, but I always, it was always there, you know. He would always, throughout the next few years, be like, get your guitar, let's play a song. And we would. And then when I was about 11 years old, I really heard music, rock and roll music. My mom loved the Beatles and the Stones and Bob Dylan and the Beach Boys. And then I heard Led Zeppelin. Yes. And, and my friend, I could see, okay, now my friends are starting to get into, they're really into rock and roll music. And I would just really hear the radio or my mom's records. Uh, my dad only traditional string band stuff. Maybe, maybe Hank Senior, but he even he's a little too racy. bluegrass people are really especially the the traditional bluegrass people they're purists Sure. no no drums allowed no electric instruments instruments allowed anyway so i heard i remember hearing my mom play honky-tonk women she was listening to hot rocks the stones and i thought that is not any different than rolling in my sweet baby's arms it's just louder right got that same harmony it's that same structure but zeppelin is really you know, and, and even Black Sabbath when you, right. you I bought an electric guitar from a friend for 25 bucks. And he's like, I'm like, I don't have an amplifier. And he said, here's what you do. Take this cable, go to your sister's stereo, plug it into the head foot headphone jack, put a cassette in the, in the record side of the cassette deck and press play and record. Oh and yeah. Turn the volume all the way up. And I was like, Oh God, there it is. I can. We play all it. did it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it but it was that 11 years old was the that was the windfall year of I understand I get this and this is what I'm going to do. I'm not any good at anything else. This is what I'm going to do. Awesome. And so how soon after that were you like putting bands together
0: and and kind of going from there?
1: Probably 15 Probably a few a few years. Getting a car was a big thing. So fifteen, sixteen. That's when we we had, we had some little garage bands that would get together. Nobody ever sang, which is hilarious. We never. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I probably had five or six instrumental bands. Yes, but then we finally, were all petrified to sing for some yeah, reason. Yeah, nobody. Yeah, no singer. Sorry, <laughs> but I think you know, getting getting a car. Sixteen started. Uh, well, I joined a band of older guys at seventeen. Uh, and they were already playing bars. Right. So I would sneak, I would get snuck in the back door and uh, just don't drink any beer, you know? Like, and just out
0: of curiosity, what kind of, what kind
1: of tunes was that band doing? We played uh, Roadhouse Blues and Red House. Mm-hmm. And, Crimson Domicile,
0: as I like to say.
1: <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, Bad Company, uh, The Stones, um, you know, the Georgia Satellites had that great, great big hit with Hands to Yourself. So every band did that song. Sure. Um, just you know, good old bar stuff, and it would, we would play four nights a week—nice Thursday, Friday, Saturday—and uh, just in you know little bars around the 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 area where I grew up.
0: And so, what was your what was your battle rig at that point in time when you're slugging it out?
1: I started with uh, a, a little a little flat sun head uh, and a four twelve cabinet, and I'm pretty sure that head was solid state. I, I knew nothing about that sort of thing back then, but it couldn't have been tall enough really to have any power tubes in it. Yeah, either. sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. I played that for about a year and then I traded that uh, and some other gear and got a Marshall, got a JCM 800 that I played for years and years and years. It was a good one. It was a vertical input. And it oh, didn't, okay. Didn't have that weird low end frequency that you can't get rid of on a, it. I, I guess it was a, a PC board. amp. I don't, I don't think it was point to point, but it sounded good. And, uh, and that's the important thing. Yeah. And then I wound up trading that for a 50 watt JMP uh, 72. Um, fantastic. Uh, but it was too loud. I always had to turn my cabinet to the wall in most places. And, but yeah, I was always a Marshall guy. I, never, I had buddies that were Fender guys and I didn't get into that until, until way later. Right, right, right. It's funny how, you know,
0: when we when you're growing up and, you, and every band you are into, and like you see the Zeppelin on, you know, magazines and whatnot, or you look at the old things of Hendrix, he's got three full stacks of Marshalls, which I think were loaded with JBLs. And you're thinking, man, I can't wait until I can go out and do some gigs. And then you, you go out and you're like using a 50-watt amp, but people are looking at you like you're the devil. <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, I would get anything to go back to 1969 or 70 and experience what stage volume must've been like because the PAs were horrible. Exactly. So they, they're, they're, their, their, backline was acting as, as the public address system. Um, exactly. And even there, I've got a buddy here in Atlanta who, um, he has photographs of cream at Chastain amphitheater, which is a venue in Atlanta. Been here since the forties probably, but there's a, it's the three of them on stage in the daylight. There's a mic on the kick drum and one mic on a speaker uh, uh Clapton has a full full Marshall stack. I, I, right. I you can't really see Jack Bruce's side but two mics on the band that you can right. see. I don't think they mic the bass. I remember hearing yeah. some somebody told me
0: this and I don't know, you know, it might be legend or hyper hyperbole whatever you want to call it but someone said they saw cream at madison square garden and they they had their stage rig set up and they lowered the boxing mic that they had and that's what was carrying it out through the speed
1: oh wow <laughs> the tannoy.
0: yes which i find bizarre but you, you know you never know it's yeah. crazy you know there's something about that old stuff when you see Those old pictures of first of all, I love the stuff where like Hendrix is walking through the crowd with his guitar. Yeah. You know, and then just goes on stage and you see there's no pedal board. It's it's chords are everywhere. It's just fuzz face, univibe. Wawa wow, pedal and guitars just hang like leaning up Leading. against the stack yeah when oh, you see you know the zeppelin stuff and you see behind the stage it's just regular guitar cases stacked up and then the guitars just laid out on road cases ready to go and it's just yeah it's just something so awesome about the because now everything is just so dialed in right you know there's nothing left to chance you know it's right. but back then man it was the wild
1: west yeah that we a buddy of mine. We uh, send these stones pictures back and forth constantly with the guitars and Keith and Mick Taylor and from uh, some photos and video footage from Hyde Park in 1969. There's a burst leaning against the drum riser, and not like neatly against a speaker cabinet, but way back like this on the back of the headstock, right, like laying on the drum r- a burst. Which- exactly. <laughs> At that time I was only 10 years old but still Exactly. Just a used guitar at that point. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable.
0: So you guys obviously have a a heavy bit of Stones in what you do. Yeah, yeah. Got it. There, there's nothing wrong with that at all. I'm a yeah. I'm a massive Stones
1: enthusiast. There's just yeah. uh
0: it's a glorious ensemble.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's just magical. Like what what is it about their stew that is just so right, you know?
0: You know, it's it's an interesting thing, isn't it? I mean, it's just it's like you hear these guys from England, but they just understood about the uh, the filth and the grease. They just yeah. understood.
1: There's something about like um, I, I think Jimmy Miller, the you know the producer that produced all those great '70s records. He's talking about them recording and how rough they could be, right? How, how sloppy and not together, right? And, and each one has such a personality on on his instrument, you know, and he's like, there something would happen. And I would watch that they'd be jamming for hours, you know, trying to find it on an idea. And he's like, something would happen. And Bill Wyman's bass, the neck of his bass would come up to this certain angle. And he said, Keith would get a certain look in his eye with Charlie Watts. And all of a sudden it would, it, it would, it's there. It's like, oh, there it is. That's them the magical stones swagger. He said unbelievable. He said Bill Wyman played a little bit ahead of the beat, and Keith Richards played a little bit behind the beat, and it caused this cool wobble between right. the two of them and the drums. The stone, awesome. the the wobble. Awesome activities, right there. I was, I
0: was watching a little bit of the uh, the seventy two or a uh, seventy two tour uh, documentary, which of course is titled something that we can't speak of here on the air, but. Uh, uh that man there's some some classic stuff on there just yeah fantastic so what you know when you're putting the band together um t- you know you i i you know people refer to it as southern rock but you know again what is southern rock it's just you could just take the Southern away and just say well all real rock and roll is southern rock <laughs> right yep. if we're honest yeah Uh, did you, did you tangibly think about, let's add a bit of this, this, and this, and this, or was it just an organic thing that just happened? Or at some point did you go, well, if we just move a little bit more this way,
1: it'll be this, you know what I mean? Um, we never really talked about it. Um, the drummer and bass player are brothers, Britt and Richard Turner. And, um, myself and the two of them came out of another band that, that fell apart. Uh, we had another singer who was the main songwriter and whatnot in a, basically we were his band uh, in atlanta and uh we really liked playing together cuz we kind of had a wobble you know and oh. uh, and I, I said well i got i i've got some songs a few that i've written uh, if you guys want to continue as a trio um and they said yeah so we went into the rehearsal room and and learned those songs and so that it just instantly felt that way. I guess it's just the difference in one songwriter and another, or whatever. Right. We've already kind of played that way because Brent and Richard—they're um, a little older than I am, just a few years. Uh, like if I was a freshman, they were seniors, right? Sure. And th- they were actually uh, metal guys, like ch- super chops, you know. But they also can—they—they—they they, they love the great stuff too. Well, not that metal's not great, but they they wound, up in a, they wound up in a speed metal band. I don't know if that dates me to call it that, but in Atlanta, that was really popular, but really heavy stuff, you know? But um, I remember Britt told me one time, he was like, I love this music dearly. You know, he's like, I, I love, you know, growing up, going to see these shows. He was really into uh, New, York's, New York hardcore and things, the Cro-Mags and things like that. And he's like, but I'm ready to play for girls. but no i mean we got together and and it really just the way that we played together i think um and maybe my accent when i sing you know this kind of there it was you know so when you started off
0: were you doing some covers or were you doing all your own stuff right from the get-go
1: we would do covers. Uh, yeah. We would, um, cause we were playing some bars, you know, playing four sets and we would put, we would play Skinner and the Allman brothers and Marshall Tucker band and the stones. And yeah. um, occasionally you gotta, gotta do highway to hell. I mean, you know, that's the What's wrong with it. People a that, well-trodden
0: thoroughfare. I might add
1: people that sing like me, they can hit a, you know, not going <laughs> above it very far. I can get a, I can get a, uh, a a monotone highway to hell in there, just hanging (laughs) in (laughs) there.
0: So you're a P90 guy. Am I right? I mean, that's your, your, your thing for, so when did you discover that? And when did you discover, Hey, one, one pickup is good enough. That'll get it done. You know what I mean?
1: Well, I went to, um, I went to see Rick Richards and Rick price from the Georgia satellites back in 1993 or so when I moved to Atlanta, um, they had a they had a band called the Hellhounds, and they were, were a, they were a bar band. So when the satellites would come off the road, I think they had broken up at that point. But they always kept the Hellhounds going. It was a trio, and they would do revved up Chuck Berry type versions of everything. So they did like "Don't Pass Me By" by the Beatles, and um, I mean just everything. I, um, uh, looking for the man. Um, Velvet Underground, but they would rev everything up. It was beautiful. Uh, just this reckless abandon, you know? And uh, I was a big fan of the satellites. And so a buddy of mine said, we got to go to Smith's All Bar. This this bar in Atlanta it was Christmas night. And he said, you got to see Rick and Rick. They're, it's it's tradition. They play every Christmas night. I said, okay. So we go in and Smith's All Bar holds probably 150 people. It's a tiny little place. Got a great little punchy PA and uh, Rick Richards walks out with a TV junior and a high watt half stack. And he hits a G chord full on full volume first thing. And, uh, you know, it, it blew, blew your hair back, you know, just like, right. Oh my God, it pins you to the wall. It was so powerful. And then he proceeded to play this Chuck Berry thing. And and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, I want to do, I want to sound, I like want that. that, I want that, what he's got. Yeah. And so just to, uh, just a few days later, same friend, Ted LaThing. He's like, we've got one of Rick's old juniors at this guitar store where I work called Clark Music in Atlanta. And he said, you should come look at it. It's on consignment in there. It's 650 bucks. And I was like, oh, God, that's so much money. <laughs> and I went down and uh, I played it. And it's, an, it's a refin from back in the 70s. Somebody painted it black. But I loved it. I was like, who needs anything more than
0: this? This, this is, is it. This true this is true i had a similar experience a buddy of mine locally um always would play uh juniors um into blonde basements and just that combination oh yeah oh it Digging sounded it, so good yeah 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 Woo. and th- there's something about i mean i don't know how much of it is um is folklore or reality, but there's something about like Esquires and juniors, just that one pickup that they get the full magnetic pull of the strings. And that's what right. makes them sound so great.
1: I think that's, that's gotta be tangible. It's gotta be a real thing. I've had specials too, and I don't like them as much. They're just, they're obviously not as cool either, but right. Uh, this is just something about juniors. And then the whole Leslie West thing too. Right. And, I remember as a teenager, I don't know that I was aware that's what he was playing because there was no YouTube, and right. I, don't, I don't think I had any magazines or anything with a photograph of him at that point. And then finally at some point I was like, oh, that's what – okay, well, there you go. Listen to that. That's why it sounds so damn good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what. It's, a, it's a, you know, same with Esquires. Esquires is the same way. People are like, well, come, you know, why don't you just want a Telecaster as opposed to Esquire? Like, well, if you ever played an Esquire, you'll know. They are just – straight yep. into an amp you crank it up it just sounds glorious just alive just yes up. and that's really down to your fingers to to get all the the grease out of that rascal
1: yeah just pick it up pick it a little closer up to the neck and there's instant neck pickup there it is <laughs> there it is in a nutshell <laughs>
0: <laughs> we interrupt this regularly scheduled gristle infested conversation to give a special shout out to our friends at fishman transducers Makers of the Greg Koch Signature Fluence Gristle Tone pickup set. Can you dig that? And our friends at Wildwood Guitars of Louisville, Colorado. Bringing the heat in the shadow of the Rocky Mountains. So how about nowadays as far as amps? I'm, You know, I've I seeing some live footage of you guys. and you got a bunch of different things. But is there, are there any discoveries you made along the way? They're like, you know, at this point, I realized if I would couple these amps. or, And then also, is, is there a difference between what you use in the studio versus when you go
1: out on the road? Well, yes and no. Um, f- live, I've been using for the last handful of years um, a Germino 50-watt. Plexi, head. and he's a he's an Atlanta guy, right? Or- he's, he's in North Carolina. In Grand oh, I'm sorry, okay. Um, but I was turned on to his amplifiers by Keith Nelson from Buck Cherry years ago. He said, "Hey man, this guy Greg in North Carolina, he makes bulletproof Plexi amps that they work every night on the road, and they sound perfect because he's a savant when it comes to the Marshall thing." Right, right, right. So he introduced me to him. Been playing his amps ever since on the road, um, and then I have an amp that a guy that works with Gabriel at Echo Park, um, his name is Eric and he makes these really great 6V6 amps that are really great tweed, creamy. My front house guy, it's the favorite app. uh, He says it's his favorite amp ever. And then when he pushes it up, he's like, oh God, there it is. There's that creamy. um, (laughs) So I keep those two running all the time. Um, I have used them in the studio um, quite a bit because they just sound so good. Um, but you know, in the studio, it's so much fun to go go to your your pile of gear and go, I want to take this and this, and I'm gonna right. use this and I'm gonna use this on this song. And um, uh, I, I do have a really good um Tweed Deluxe, a 59. Um I guess that's the last year of the tweed. Um, but it's a really good one and a good, a really good Marshall, a 76 50 okay. watt JMP. Um, and those get a lot of use.
0: Yes. So when you're playing with the band, do you, do, how's the stage volume? I mean, do you crank it a bunch? Do you put, and is your front of house guy hate you for it? I mean, because I, I know there's some people like we can't have any wash from the stage at all. It's got to be completely quiet. So, it, it, <laughs> what end of the spectrum is your guy at? <laughs> well,
1: he got frustrated for quite a while because we just got louder you know, on a tour, you'll start and then you just get louder and louder and louder. Um, both of those amps I'm using are not master volume amps, you know? Right. Um, and so I ha- I bought a couple of attenuators to try and help him out. And we use in-ears as well. Um, but I like them, la- I still like the amps loud because then in my ears, I'm getting, I'm hearing amp in my vocal mic, you right. know, filling up the room and that the ambient, that's what you love, you know? Uh, right. Anyway, um, we finally decided if he he, uh, asked one day, said, hey, you see these people like your buddy um, Marcus is using plexiglass. And I was like, I don't want to use plexiglass. I don't like the way it looks, you know, and talked to a friend. And he said, I can build you some wooden baffles and they have like designs on them. And I said, oh, okay." And he said, I put foam on the backside so it's not so reflective. And uh, that's what we've been doing. And as soon as I got those, my front house guy loves me again. (laughs)
0: <laughs> so when you're wearing the in-ears do you have a little sampling of everything in there do you just have your vocals and you hear the rest of the, from the stage or is a little bit of
1: i probably run mine um a little of everything um but i i like a lot of keys i like piano um because you know other things will go out of tune and that doesn't ever ah interesting so it's like sometimes if if the guitars get a little sour with each other it's like ah what key are we in oh my god that's but I can always count on my buddy Brandon to have it. Okay, we're in G. There it is. Ah, very interesting.
0: So how long have you been using the in-ears? What at what point did you transition to
1: those? Um, about uh 10 years. Okay. We uh well, it's been a while. In 2009, um we were going to Europe for the first time. And uh we had been, you know, touring the United States for nine years already. So uh, but it was a big jump. Uh, for us, and, and um we booked with a um uh, with an agency there um, called Teenage Head Music, a guy named Manny Montana, who's fantastic. And uh, here's how Manny does it. Uh, twenty two shows in a row, no day off. that's that was our first tour. Oh. and I, as a singer, I was like, "Oh my God, I don't know if I can do that. And he's right. like, uh, I remember him saying, "Well, Rhino Bucket did forty. <laughs> and I said something to the tune of, we'll give them the trophy by all means. Right. Congratulations. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> but it came down to a choice, you know, it was like, can you do it? And I said, well, I'll try, you know, I'll give it the, the good old college try. So at that point, our front of house guy was like, let's get ears because one night of crappy monitors and you're done. Right. And uh, he was right. It changed the way. I think he had wanted us to give it a shot for a while. It changes the way you sing and play, right. but especially sing. Absolutely. You know, it's people have been telling me to use in-ears
0: for years and I was like, ah, but you know, it it got to the point where I was doing mostly instrumentals because I was losing my voice after like three songs. It would be gone. And of course I'm six sevens and the monitors are way down on the ground. So it was like, it was horrible. And then during quarantine here, I've been using or whatever you want to call it, COVID days. uh, I've been using headphones as we do the live streams and i'm like oh my god i can hear myself and i can actually like you know so it's been a completely different thing so i feel like such an idiot for not using not well, using in here sooner it is but, such uh, a,
1: a strange thing to decide for musicians like you and me and you know, uh, people who have been doing it for so long one way right to go you know what i'm going to do it completely different i'm going to change the most important thing about what i do which is listening to what i'm doing I'm, right. gonna, I'm gonna do it completely different out of the blue. It was really a hard thing to adjust to. Um, I had to really surrender to it. Right. And I fought it and I'd be like, my the EQ sucks. I can't do this. I'm in a but I'm in a bubble. Right. I can't hear the audience. I can't feel the room. And for each complaint, our monitor guy would have a solution. He's like, Oh. oh in a bubble. Let me give you some more of these ambient mics. Oh, there you are. I'm like, Oh, okay. I'm back in the room. All right. Well, the, the snare drum sounds like, you know, right. It really t- takes somebody with know-how to, right. to put you basically like you're in a record. You're like, oh, right. This is okay. This is glorious. Ah, fantastic.
0: Because I'll tell you what, there's nothing worse than realizing, like you said on that, being on, the, <clears throat> being on the road, and all of a sudden realizing, well, my voice is gone and uh, it's day three. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What do you do? Lord have mercy. So you've been going over to Europe ever since then. How do you, how do you like the European off, uh, you know, gigs and touring as opposed to the American? Not like a better than, but just how how do they differ? I love them.
1: You know, it's just that the the people are different and then yeah. you'll get certain places like I would say that uh, people in Ireland are very similar to people in Tennessee. They're loud and they, they just have a ball and then you get, you know, the Germans are very clinical and serious and, you know, they're not, they're not there to really let loose, let loose and whoop it up. They're really, you know, focusing on what you're doing and they will clap right. out solos. And uh, I love it all. It's so different. I just love every, I, I love following you guys when on Instagram, when we were touring the world. Yes. I would love to, uh, Watching you guys, not only your musical adventures, but your culinary adventures. <laughs> oh, yes. You got to eat. Yeah. Got to eat. And what, what better place to eat than Europe? Oh, that's a fact.
0: As a matter of fact, I need to, before, when, when I get an idea of when I'll actually be traveling again, I'm going to have to go on some like hardcore diet just to kind of get rid of this extra COVIDian that I have around my abdomen so I can begin feasting on the road. <laughs> yeah. Get back in your leather pants too. There you go. A that's a good back. that's a good look. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what, in Deutschland, I always love um, I love the bakeries over there. They call them the Bäckerei. Yeah. Just man. and I always, you know, I, uh, my wife's never been over there yet, and I'm like, one of these days you got to go. There's something about you just get a little pastry and then the, everywhere you go, the coffee is fantastic. They all've got uh-huh. like a for real coffee
1: device. Yeah. And you just sit
0: down there and you're just like I just this is fantastic. <laughs> Even,
1: coffee at a at like a gas station in Europe, right. twice as good as anything that you can get in this country. It's nuts. And how about in Italy when
0: you're traveling and they have those the the waysides there? So in what do they call those again? I'm spacing out. Uh, in in Germany they call them um, the Rostovs. but in 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 uh, in Italy they're called something else. But they're they're just their waysides. And to your point, they they have the coffee bar there and it's. Yeah. Phenomenal. You, know, like, you just go over there and you're, and you're like,
1: this is, this is fantastic. Yeah. What are we doing? Exactly. I, you know, the first, one thing I noticed uh, first trip over or first or second and getting, and even the differences in coffee and the way you order in every country. Right. But I remember the first one, I think we were in maybe Belgium and I go in and I was like, Oh, let me, let me make sure I know what to order here. Cause I, I like my coffee with a little milk and, Maybe a little sweetener, you know, but I don't want to order the wrong thing. And I'm looking and, you know, we're like in Spain where everything is small. You know, you're getting a coffee, you're basically getting a shot of espresso. And if you want a little milk, you got a cortado or whatever. But a great big one, which is not even that big, it's only this big, it's called an Americano. Yes, exactly. <laughs> a gluttonous coffee for you, big sloppy American who. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. American devil. Yeah. I think- <laughs>
0: One of my favorite European coffee adventures was when we were in. um, We were playing at this small club in Naples, and it was uh, the adventure of getting to this club was something for another for another story. But when we finally got there, I was so stressed out having gone through. We couldn't find the place, and we finally found it. We get in there, and and they said, "We'll go get you some coffee." And they came back and and. It was from a grocery store, and they would take uh, reused, like, juice containers, uh, orange juice containers, and it was just filled with this black liquid. Like, what is that? Like, that's your coffee. And they had little, you know, uh, paper, you know, espresso glasses, like little shot glasses. Uh And they put that stuff there, and it was, like, caramelized sugar inside this blackest coffee of... It was, like... Not that I know what crack is like, okay? Uh (laughs) <laughs> but i'm gonna say it was like crack it was it, like... was, it was unbelievable it was yeah. it was fantastic because i i don't usually usually i just do black coffee but that sugar whatever they did it was uh oh my god i was walking tall feeling proud it was glorious
1: that was naples you
0: say that was in naples
1: yeah i've never That's
0: been cool. to naples well naples is in the south and uh Whenever you're traveling around, people are like, well, when you're in the South, you got to be careful. I'm like, yeah, I'm from the United States of America, okay? Right. I don't know if you're aware of it, but there are areas in large cities where I live and so on and so forth that might be considered a place where you might be, have to be on your toes in any kind of given situation. And yeah. uh, They're like, no, you don't seem to understand. I'm like, yeah, whatever. So yeah. Uh, we get down to Naples, and, and it was at the end of the tour, so we had all of our money on us. And uh and we were staying right near the train station, which is like the worst place to stay. Yeah. Um, it was it was it was something. I'm I'm just gonna say. And then we got lost at rush hour. And what's the problem is that you know, all those those cities have such small streets that it yeah. rush and, and it's kinda like it's got the elevation of like a San Francisco. Sometimes you'll take a right and you're going up the hill and it's like like straight up, and all you yeah. see is this line of cars, and there's no way to turn turn back the the tour, the sprinter that we're in. Right. So Uh all we're looking at is this line of cars and it's literally like one car goes this way. One car goes that way. And then, and then repeat. And it was like, Oh my God. And then Malford was Malford Milligan was in the band at the time and he's in the back freaking out. And he's just, he's doing his Buddhist chants. I'm I'm hearing that as I'm looking up at this thing. And then my wife calls and, um, and she's like, look, one of the kids having trouble at school, you need to call the school right now. I go, I, I, so I, there I am in the middle of traffic jam. Plus, we had no idea where we were. We were lost. And oh, Klaus, the German, our tour manager, doesn't have a cell phone that works and has doesn't have GPS. His GPS is not working. So I got a quick call the school, talk to whoever there, and then get back on the phone and try to find the booking agent. Finally, get a hold of him. Going, we have no idea where we're going. We're in the and he starts he starts giving me the address. And anyways the coffee helped (laughs) getting back to the coffee. It was well needed and well-timed. I'm just going to say that.
1: I'm having a horribly stressful time. I need track. I need track.
0: Thank you. But that was a fun night because Robin Ford came in and sat in with us that night. He was, um, um, did he, it was the weirdest thing. He came out and saw the band, or did he just come and see the band? I, no, I can't remember if he played it. I think he played. I've kind of blacked it all out, but he did come because our, we had the book, same booking agent, and he came and he hung out. And I think he did play with us that night. Anyway, sorry, that was it. Was it was a very confusing evening. Yeah. That's coming back to me in in shards. Well, <laughs>
1: he, he is phenomenal. Uh, he
0: is. He's a Nashville guy now. I, I yeah. keep on seeing his videos from from uh, Nash, Vegas, hanging out down there causing trouble.
1: Yeah, he's uh, I've got a, a couple of friends who are around him a bit. I've never met him, but boy, I've seen him a couple of times. Whew. Mercy. He's fantastic. Fantastic fellow.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, I always say, you know, I, I I don't really try to play like we all try to do our own, you know, take on on uh on whatever we're doing i would hope right yeah, um yeah. but i i always you know i've mentioned to him too is like you know as far as like applying concepts theory wise i've probably learned more from him than anybody else cuz it was just such a cool transition from a a guy who was really a blues guy but knows jazz as well cuz there's there's yeah. a lot where that just doesn't work you know what i mean
1: right well your you playing uh just baffles me um Every every, I don't want to say genre because I'm not trying to like even simplify it. But every time you go in a different direction, I me mean, are obviously just so adept at it. And, but so many of the little their little Greg cockisms that I've <laughs> I'm, I'm stealing, by the way, but just fascinating. And I it always oh, makes well, me you. think like who is he listening to, like in his formative years to 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 throw that on him that way. Well, you know what's what's bizarre is is that
0: you know, I still listen to a lot of the same stuff I listened to back. In, I mean, I find like different boot. Like, like, I was listening to Hendrix as I went to sleep last night. You know what I mean? I found um, some boot of something I'd never heard, but but when I grew up, it was like you know um, something like on the BBC. I don't know. If, I, I don't know how much of a Hendrix guy you are but i'm like over the i mean just like a fanatic yes um and there were uh, a guy when i was in high school had these b- vinyl bootlegs at the time of of the stuff that was you know really you couldn't get anywhere and one of it was of the of the bbc sessions yeah and yeah. And, and his version of driving south there's two different versions on there but there's one particular version in, in general, which is like... And I I hadn't heard it in years, and I listened to it, and I was like, I, probably no singular tune probably encapsulizes more of what I was going for than that. Really? <laughs> you know what I mean? Because he just... Cause he's got the Jimmy, but it's just it just keeps going, and and yeah. it's uh, you know he's doing the clean hendrixy blues thing, he's throwing in some kind of jazzy isms, he's doing kind of the you know the B three kind of that kind of a thing. There's the whammy, you know, every night. It's and, and then of course he's doing all the the Jimmy kind of funky, uh All it's like all in there, and and when I listened, I was like, holy shit, I had no idea how much just that one tune right Shaped. everything that I would do from there on in uh, but another, you know but like everything from like um you know I realized how much like listening to just I had the ZZ top uh greatest hits record you know and okay. and then I got tejas yeah. and, and and I've just realized just how much those two records you know uh just in terms of you know his vibrato I mean still no one does I mean that when he doesn't the, the yeah. D string vibrato that he does is just like there's nothing like that. <laughs>
1: right. We were we were tracking a song on the new record and um I was tr- I was uh putting a solo down on a song and uh just the feel of the song and just sort of accidentally um I started playing the lick from arrested from for driving wild blinds down, now right and my my brain told my hands to do that and it was because of what has soaked into my brain thanks to and the producer Dave Cobb was like you can't play that lick that's the that's the belly lick you know and I was like oh yes I can well I'm gonna do that kind of how about I'm just gonna change one note and how about that but but it's a classic thing yeah
0: holding on to that one note and then doing the finger on the other one it's right
1: you did a thing also that my buddy Benji and I have enjoyed so much. And uh we always grin when we do it because we know it's Greg's thing. You were playing some jazz stuff. I think you were playing like a super four hundred. This is a couple of years ago. And uh so you were doing like this Kenny Burrell kind of thing, and then you went skidded you did some octaves and you raked the strings with the you went skidded, skid-dimp temp, skid-dimp damp. Yeah. Anytime we skid ink, we know that we're from
0: Brother Greg. Oh, bless you. Yeah. I'm trying to think where I, you know, I, that was probably a West Montgomery, you know, because back in the day when I was trying to do the West stuff with the thumb, uh-huh. it just is so hard to to get that kind of facility with the, song, the, the thumb. And then I thought, well, shit, I can do that with those fingers. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. It worked. Yeah. We're carrying yeah, it on. You know what? You got to keep on going, Buck. I remember it was kind of interesting years ago. I, um, when our first record came out as uh, this band, Greg Cock and the Tone Controls, and it was both. It was um, you know my own tunes, and it was kind of a you know it was mostly vocal stuff that we did. It was kind of little fetish, you know. There was, there was blues, there was funk, and there was a little bit of country in there, and yada yada yada. But I remember I sent the record to Guitar Player magazine. And they wrote it up in their spotlight section. Oh, spotlight, this guy, yada, 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 da da da, da, da. But they, But when you would enter the stuff in, it's like, well, what are your goals for the future? And I remember my goals were to be able to chord solo something like West Montgomery and to be able to Travis Pick and to be able to – And I was like, well, I worked to kind of get there. You know? <laughs> I had goals and I went after them. You did it. Uh, to the point of uh, being able to at least slough my way through it. But, um, it, boy, you know, there's just so many times as a player, as you well know, when you're playing, you're like, you hear something. You're like, man, if I could only get close to that or just kind of look under the hood a little bit to see what the hell's going on there. Yeah. And then when you finally get that, then it's something else. <laughs>
1: yeah. It, it moves to something else. Exactly. I sat once. I've, I've never had any patience for tablature. Um, even as a teenager, I was just like, I can't, it's, you know, all right, three, six, all right, two, nine, I'm like, I just, I'm just going to listen. You right. Know, I'm going to find it. But as an adult, um, I was absolutely obsessed at one point to learn the chord solo in Round Midnight, West Montgomery. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, I I have to learn how to do that. I I, every time I hear it, I just, it's just a crazy love that I have for what he's doing right there. And I have to know, I have to. At least, at least, uh, just a smidgen of it, you know. Right, exactly. And so I found it, and uh, again, I, my 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 tolerance for for things like that is is no better. I'm like, I can't do this. Just screw it. Just, I want. I just won't do it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you know, I don't know about you, but I've I've always been <sighs> like when I hear something like that, it's you know, a lot of times I'll sit down and initially my intention will be to go yeah i really want to learn that one part but i'll sit down and i'll start messing with one thing and then i i won't do it right but i'm like yeah but i kind of like this thing and then i'll Uh just like completely off yeah (laughs) off the rails on something else that's right it's just you know but where where it's interesting where others i mean other people are like i mean and i've known people like this who have been absolutely obsessed with every nook and cranny of, of a, of a transcription that they'll personally do. And, you know, for a while I was teaching at this music school up in, um, in Minneapolis because my son was going there and they really made me an offer. I couldn't understand. They basically said, well, we'll make you full-time faculty. I was like, well, I can't be I'm traveling. And they're like, well, you just come here on Mondays and Tuesdays when you can, you'll be a full-time faculty member. And your kid goes to school for free. I'm like, Uh, You know what? I think I'll do it. Uh So I had to come up with a curriculum for this kind of uh, survey class of all these different styles of guitar. But then I would have individual students, and and I would have guys. This one guy came in, and man, he would have Grant Green solos all tabbed out. And he's, oh, I learned this solo, and I wrote down. And I was just looking at him, just going, how could you take the time to do this? You know what I mean? It just, it just. It was just so bizarre to me because I would be more – I'd be more like, well, how can I absorb the vibe of that to make it my own versus I want to be able to play that note for note just to say that I can do it. It's just – it's a different mindset, I reckon. Not that anything's better or worse, but it's just a different –
1: You know what? Also, it it struck me um, several years ago um, uh, when I started playing – well, we would play shows with uh, Warren Haynes and yeah. Derek Trucks and and people like that, um, that those guys, you know, I would watch and and even get, get to sit in sometimes and just experience their world musically and like, oh, okay. Um, and it's so improvisational. right? Uh, and Warren and I were talking about it one day. I was like, you know, he goes, you know, we we worshiped those solos that Dickie Betts and Dwayne Allman played on the Fillmore East record. As kids, we, we learned every, like you say, every nuance of every bend, all his slide licks with every little, even with, even with stuff that might be sharp or flat, you know? Right. So it's Yeah. That's it. And he goes, when I joined the Allman brothers, uh, I found out they never played it that way again. Right. That was one night and they, always played it differently. And he said, we have been worshiping here they were, they were like 23 years old and they recorded the live rock and roll Bible. I mean, and never played it that way again. And so I just learned, I kind of like, I don't know, just kind of along the same lines. It's like, what they're in it for is that as far as solos, it's like, here I go. Let's hope I land land on my feet, you know, more beauty in that to me, than then getting the tablature for something and going, I nailed it. I got it just like he did it, you know? Right. Exactly. Well, well and what's also very interesting, I don't know
0: if you've had this experience in kind of going over it, like when you get like a document, like the, the, com- the entire Fillmore concerts, you know, they came out with that box thing a couple of years yeah. ago and, um, and you realize that they, you know, don't get me wrong, I'm the hugest alma Brothers fan, and and I scoured that record and played along with it and uh, you know and saw the I've probably seen the alma Brothers more than any band uh than I've ever seen anybody else. But what was interesting to me about that is that we think that every night was like that. You right. know what I mean? And, and it wasn't. No, no. And even that night in its totality wasn't that.
1: Just right. no. <laughs> Yeah. Do you know that there's a, there's a museum in Macon, Georgia, the big house museum, um, uh, the Almond brothers museum. Right. And uh, it's the house they used to live in at one bar for a year or so. Maybe I'm not sure exactly, but uh, nobody crucified me for this, but, um, but the original band lived there together and, you know, they lived you know, uh, like a commune and with, our, with their girls and some children and, and all that right. and, and, uh, wrote songs and, made music and everything. And uh, the curator is a really good friend of ours named Richard Brent. And he showed me, uh, I don't know if he wants me to say this or not, but I'm going to do it. Screw it. Um, Excellent. He's got Dwayne's handwritten notes, mix notes for the Fillmore record. And so they recorded, I think, two nights and then maybe another night later, like in June, I think. Anyway, he's going through the mixes with Tom Dowd. And uh, if you ever wondered why One Way Out is not on the Fillmore record proper, they put it on Eat a Peach. Right. Um because Dwayne said scratch through that one Dicky doesn't like his solo. Oh, you're kidding me. Can you believe that? That solo is epic. It's epic. It's perfect. What couldn't what what's not to love? But crazy. I don't know. That's uh that's, that will always baffle me. I'll tell you
0: what, Dickie's tone was never better ever again. I mean, yeah. it was always but that tone on those records Ooh. was oh my lord. Fire. Absolutely. You know, I gotta admit, when I was in high school playing along with that record, I mean, other than Dwayne's amazing slide work, which of course was indisputable, I preferred Dickie's playing. I mean, as someone to, you know, learn from and just that tone. Yeah. I was more immersed in what Dickie did. And later on, you know, it, it changed for me at some point. Or you know, I just love yeah, the yeah. greasy kind of, you know, because with the the thing about Dwayne, for me, is the fact that you're always on the edge of your seat. Because is it going to be out of tune or not? I mean, that and that's what I what I love about it. And and I love Derek Trucks. I think he's you know an innovator and uh, just a, a his voice is is something that's truly revolutionary on the instrument. Um, but it's always perfect. I mean, that son of a bitch never clams. <laughs> No, he never does. It's just it just does not happen. Whereas Dwayne, he went for stuff and sometimes it didn't happen, but when it
1: did, by God, it was
0: it was magical.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Derek. Wow. Warren either. I mean, they're both. Yeah. Exactly. God, it just
0: between the two of them. I was a huge Warren fan. I I I I often say when, you know, people go, Oh, it's the greatest concert you've ever seen. You know, when the bros got back together again and that Shades of Two Worlds record, I was so excited. You know, but of course, I was a big fan of the of the Greg Allman band with Danny Toller. I just, he was one of my favorite guitar players. Just so yeah. that just before the Bullets Fly record was just fantastic. And uh, so when the bros got back together again and they were touring behind that record, and I love Warren. I love what Warren did on the pattern disruptive Dickie Betts record. Mm-hmm. And I was like, who's this guy doing these Dwayne licks and standard tuning? You know, who is this yeah. guy? And um, but they played a show in Minnesota, out in the country someplace, and it was you know, the dog days of summer. This is probably 1991, maybe, and it was the Radiators, Little Feet, and the Almond Brothers. Wow! Outside, beautiful summer day, sun is shining, but there's enough clouds to kind of, and and the stage, the top of the stage was being held aloft by this giant crane. And you could kind of see the hazy sun and clouds behind it. And when they did that kind of bird tune, the bros, you know, and it it was like you were transported into another realm. It was, it was magical. Wow. That's incredible. Sorry, I get off sometimes. Sometimes I go far afield when I start talking.
1: (laughs) I was soaking up that, that whole, you were painting the picture.
0: Oh, Lord have mercy. So what, what's like? I mean, it's such an interesting thing, you know, when you're from that area. I mean, how much how much is the legacy of what, you know, being in the South as a musician? I mean, it's, I mean, I always joke. I was like, oh, yeah, we're from the South, Southeastern Wisconsin. But, you know, <laughs> not quite the same. Not quite the same musical. I mean, there's some good musicians around here that have come here, but it doesn't quite have the same ring to it, shall we say, as the, the power of, uh, you know, when you think about, Georgia music scene and just that, that whole area so talk a little bit about how that fed into what you did as a musician and how you how it kind of the legacy of all that weighs on you in one way or another if or if it doesn't
1: um I think I don't know if it weighs on on me or us you know um because we never really it's not re- what we really um, set out specifically to do. Like we didn't go, we are going to be the next Allman Brothers or, or the next Leonard Skinner. It really, I mean, we love that music dearly and it's, a, it's. I listen to it pretty much daily. I mean, right. maybe not daily and I'll listen to, you know, of course other stuff, but I dearly, dearly love Leonard Skinner and the Allman Brothers yep. band and Marshall Tucker. And it's, it's, it's just so good. And they're right. so good for two di- for not even two different reasons for many different reasons. Um, um, anyway, um, it was omnipresent when we were growing up on the radio, you know, and blasting out of Camaros and pickup trucks. And it really is a, I think for Southern people who like rock and roll, it's like these, that's ours, you know, Right. these are our guys, uh, and especially Florida people. Cause really the Almond brothers are from, you know, Dwayne and, Dwayne and Greg, I think, are really Florida guys, but right. they're making transplants. But definitely Macon also is like every it's Almond Brothers, Almond Brothers, Almond Brothers. They, right. you go in a bar, I'm gonna let me get the Dickie Betts burger and uh <laughs> <I'm gonna check." laughs> and it's through and through, you know. But um I love that. And it's it really is like a a point of pride, I think, for southern musicians. But not only that, I mean, even like all, make and also Otis Redding and little Richard. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So they already, even before the way, before the brothers came along, they were like, guess what? We got the two greatest singers in the world right here, you know, right here. Um, and now they're great. Like Capricorn is open for business again and that's beautiful. And they, yeah, I saw that video you guys did do a Mid- midnight yeah. Rider there. That must've been awesome. It was great. We, we went in, it was just one afternoon and uh, we were, I think we were the first band to go back in there and, um, it was great. We Jimmy Hall came and sang a couple of Wet Willie songs and Marcus Henderson, who plays flute with uh, Marshall Tucker Band now, came and played on Take the Highway. And And it, we were doing it to capture video, to promote the summer tour. And I remember walking into the control room and our uh, engineer buddy, Tom Tapley, was in there. And, and I was like, oh, my God, that sounds fantastic. I mean, everything about it, the drum sound was Unbelievable. Right. And it was all just such an afterthought, you know, throwing mics up and Hey, let's get some sounds. And it's like, Whoa. And a couple of the guys that were working there, you know, Capricorn guys was like, the drums always went right there because that's the sweet spot. Ah, And it is, it's like, okay, well this root this room is tuned. It's just because they've not changed much. I was going to ask you what, what, what has been changed or what remained there? Yeah. They, it's been re remodeled and cleaned up. You know, they, I think they replaced some sheet rock and all that kind of thing. And, but I think uh, pieces, some of the console is still there. I think I might be wrong about that, but, and of course, all new outboard gear and stuff, but it's just that it's still there. You know, it hasn't been torn down and rebuilt. It's still, and there are ghosts in there. I th- all good studios are haunted. We heard some footsteps in the middle of the night. And it was, it's not cool, but cool. Yes. It's cool. I think. Yeah. <laughs> Did you go to the H&H down the street to feast? Oh yeah, every time, every time. Yeah, my wife is she's a health and wellness coach and she's like, "Stop going to the H&H. <laughs> Stop getting that Jimmy Hall biscuit." Oh,
0: I'll tell you what, that Rose Hill Cemetery is a vibey joint. Yeah. It, that is uh that is something. We went we stopped there years ago. And we ate at the H and H, and we went to the Rose Hill Semina- uh, uh, Cemetery and walked around. It was just like, wow, this is, uh, yeah, it's a beautiful spot. I mean, it's fantastic, but wow, crazy. And then have just you- the, th- the thoughts of those guys hanging out there, writing tunes and causing mischief back in the day. Yeah.
1: Have you been to the Big House Museum? I have not yet. I I've, oh. I I need to go. You'll love it. They've got so much uh, to look at and stuff behind, you know, in, in shadow boxes and behind glass. And I remember, uh, the first time I went there, um, I was looking around at the house thinking, God, this house is huge. I mean, it's three stories and tons and tons of bedrooms. And so our friend Richard that works there, was like, I wonder what rent was in 1970 for this. I mean, wow, it's huge. And he's like, hold on a second, let me get the check. And he pulls a rent check out Signed by Dwayne Allman and it's it's got the Allman Brothers band, it's their company check. And the rent was I think two hundred and sixty dollars or something for in nineteen seventy. But he's like, that was I'm like, that's a lot of money back then. And they weren't right wealthy yet, you know. And he's like, You'll notice that it's dated for the fifteenth of the month, not before the fifth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, and you know, one of the most inspiring things to me was in um I think it was in nineteen eighty two it came out, but there was no it was eighty one, maybe it was the tenth anniversary of Dwayne's death. I don't know if you remember this, but but Guitar Player Magazine did a Dwayne Allman edition. Uh I think it was 81, yeah, early 80s. Um and he's on the cover and he's got the whole um magazine was dedicated to Dwayne Allman. There was interviews with, you know, all the pertinent Individuals and and that thing probably was the like the most single inspiring document for me at that particular age because it was just like this guy this was said I, this is what I'm going to do no one's going to stop me and it was all about the music and yada, yada yada and all that stuff ingrained in my brain so if my parents had one person to blame it would be. Dw- yeah. <laughs> It'll be Dwayne Ullman in Guitar Player Magazine.
1: Yeah. Damn Dwayne Ullman. Oh, bless his heart. Mm. Lord have mercy.
0: Well, listen, it's been a great. We could probably go on and on and on talking about this and the next thing, but boy, I hope we get to get uh, together one of these days in person at some point and cause a little trouble. That would be magnificent. I would love that, like nothing else, Greg. Uh, That would be a lot of fun. Well, hopefully soon. Hopefully by the fall, things will be opening up a little bit. Is that what you're hearing as far as what you guys are doing? We're hoping for summer. We're, oh,
1: okay. uh, I mean, we can continue to do, like, with, with certain promoters that we're working with that can do the limited capacity kind of. We have a lot of those already selling tickets. So, um, luckily, we don't sell out stadiums, Greg. good. <laughs> Well, you know, that's one of the things that people have been
0: talking about. It's like, you know, when bands start going back on the road again, uh, like for in our situation, I've been talking to our agent and and the guy that manages us, and he's like, well, the problem is, is that we got to make sure that we book stuff that's in driving distance so that if you have like three days off, because there's going to be seven holds on every venue. Right. And then is if it's only going to be 50% capacity or whatever capacity is going to be, then how do you make enough money to, to stay out there and yada, yada, yada? And I said, well, thank goodness I'm a thousandaire, so right. it, really, it really doesn't matter.
1: Exactly right.
0: I can keep myself in Snickers and Frescas <laughs> while I'm out on the road and not have to worry about it. Living the high life, my friend. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, thanks so much for spending some time with us today. We really appreciate it. And uh, as I said, hope to see you soon and uh, stay safe. And uh, we'll see you online for sure. That sounds great. Thank you, Greg. All right, Charlie. Thank you. Have a good one. You too. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Thank you so much, folks, for tuning in. Special thank you to Wildwood Guitars of Louisville, Colorado, and the mighty Fishman Transducers for making this podcast possible. If you enjoyed yourself, ladies and gentlemen, please subscribe and review so that people can get the word out that this is worth experiencing. Can you dig it? Thanks again. We'll see you soon. Or you'll hear me soon.